I'm, I'm always the short one on when I come to these things, so there we go. That, I can see a little bit better. Uh, this evening, if you will turn with me into your Bibles in the book of John, we're going to look at John 13, verses 1 through 35. You can find it in the Pew Bible. While you turn to it, whether it's in the Pew Bible, whether it's on your iPhone or uh, Android tablet, if that's who I am. I'm an Android guy. But uh, wherever it is, I do want to let you know, I might look a little familiar. If I look a little familiar, uh, you might be used to seeing me at Hodgetown. I'm also an on-field MC at Hodgetown. Have so much fun. Los pointy boots de Amarillo. I'm that guy, right? And so love it, love it, love it. But let's go to the book of John 13. It says this. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew uh, that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He said to Simon Peter, uh, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do not, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to be washed except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate bread, he who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclined at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. 
So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought because Jesus had the money bag. Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. And when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one if you have love for one another this is the word of the lord thanks be to god lord we come before you and we ask that you would speak to our hearts tonight that you would challenge us and that during this time your spirit would do his work to transform our lives in the name of jesus we pray amen i was recently visiting my sister. My sister lives in Abilene, Texas, and she is a prison guard. That's right, a prison guard at one of the big prisons uh, down by Abilene. My oldest son, uh, who is 6'3", he's a big boy, often have this argument. I am convinced that should it ever be necessary that my sister could take him down. (laughs) Some of you know Gabe. And you know how difficult that would be. But I'm convinced that my sister, the prison guard, could take him down should it be necessary. As I was at her house, I started looking through her bookshelf just to see what my sister happens to be reading. And I came across a book that I found fascinating and that my sister gave to me as a gift. It was a book that contained information on every death row inmate executed from the time it became legal to about 1987. It contained all the information that you might expect in a book like that. It contained the names of every one of those inmates. It contained their birthdays and ages. It contained the date and the time of their death. It contained small descriptions of the the crimes they had committed uh, and that they were being executed for. But none of that was what fascinated me. What fascinated me was that it included their very last meals. It included everything they ate. And you saw things from chicken fried steak to lots of ribeyes and tenderloins, all sorts of amazing foods. But even more fascinating than what someone is about to eat when they know it's their very last meal 
It was interesting to see that it also contained each one of those inmates' very last words. As interesting as it might be to see what someone would choose when they're choosing their last meal, I found it even more interesting to hear and read what these inmates said when they didn't have time to mince words. Some were words of repentance and words of sorrow for their actions. Some were words continuing to proclaim their innocence to the very end. Some were words of anger and bitterness. They weren't talking about the latest, juiciest jailhouse gossip. They weren't talking about the latest sports scores or stats. They weren't talking fluff. Almost without exception, each one of these inmates was sharing the things that were most meaningful, the things that were on their heart as they knew that momentarily they would take their very last breath. In our scripture passage tonight, we get a glimpse into the last meal of Jesus Christ. Jesus knows he has less than 24 hours to live. Jesus knows that very soon one of those closest to him would betray him. And I find it interesting to see who Jesus spends this last meal with. It isn't family, as you might expect. It isn't civic leaders of great importance. It isn't the leaders of the church. He spends this last meal with the men that he knows will turn the world upside down after his resurrection. And Judas. But as interesting as I find who he surrounds himself with at that last meal, again, I find more interesting the things that he says, the, the words he speaks, the lessons he gives in that moment when he knows that every word counts. Among his last words, we find two verses that are at the end of our scripture passage this evening. And I believe that these two verses are foundational for who we are as believers. I believe that these two words are foundational for Christianity. I believe that these two words should echo, or these two verses should echo in the ears of everyone who calls themselves a child of God. Right there at the end of the passage we read, Jesus says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, the love we have one for another, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. 
I love that word. I love that idea. Love one another. If you don't hear anything else, even if you zone out for the rest of the sermon, listen to these three words and find out how you can put them into practice because they are foundational to who we are. Love one another. Love one another because, one, this is a brand new commandment. It's amazing that while um, he called, it's, it's amazing to find, I find it super interesting that Jesus calls this concept of, of loving one another a new commandment. And while he is calling it a new commandment, it has not been absent from his teachings Matthew chapter 43 through uh, Matthew chapter 5 verses 43 through 47 he says you have heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for it is he who makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rains on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? This idea of loving one another, while Jesus establishes it here as a new commandment, is not a teaching that is absent from the rest of his time on earth while he was teaching. But he calls it new. Why? He calls it new because this commandment is a radical departure from anything that anyone taught before. They had been taught to love those just like them. Love every Jew that you see because they're part of who we are. But the Gentile, you can call him a dog, it's okay. Love your countrymen. But if they're from somewhere else, not necessarily necessary. This isn't just love for your fellow Jews. It's so radical because it isn't just, it isn't just a love for those who love you. It isn't just a love for those who look like you and think like you and believe like you. It isn't just a love for those who go to church with you. It is a love that is new, a new commandment because of its radical nature to love everyone. It's a love for Republican and Democrat. It is a love for anti-vaxxers and vaxxers, anti-maskers and maskers. It is a love for those who speak English. Y es un amor para los que hablan español. I do it in French, but I don't know French. I thought of talking Pig Latin, but no, I, I won't. It is a love for everyone, whether they're like you or not like you. It is a love for your brother who is tattooed and pierced and has blue hair. It is also a love for the elderly person who also happens to have blue hair, but no tattoos or piercings. 
It is a love for everyone. It is a love that God requires of us because he recognizes the Imago Dei in each and every one of us. We all are made in the image of God, whether I look like you, whether I sound like you, whether I believe like you or not. It makes no difference. I am made in the image of God. Everyone you see is made in the image of God. You find no ordinary people in your path. You only find those who represent God and his full image and he says to you regardless of who stands in front of you love them yes I know that that's radical but even more radical than this all-encompassing all-inclusive love is the fact that he calls this a new what's the word there commandment I, I, I took out my Strong's concordance to see if I could find what commandment meant in the original Greek you know what it means Com- commandment there's no getting around it <laughs> it's a commandment he didn't say a new suggestion I offer to you He didn't say a new idea, a new option, a new potential philosophy. He didn't say any of that. He, Jesus Christ, made it very clear that this idea of all-inclusive, all-encompassing love is a new commandment. That means you don't get to decide if you love You don't get to decide who you love. You don't even get to decide how you do it. The one who called you, who sent you, whom you follow, is the one who decides how all of this functions. Love one another. It's a new commandment. And ultimately, it is based on Jesus' model of love. The new commandment I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you also should love one another. Orlando, what you're saying sounds hard. That's because it is. That's because the love that God is calling us to is his kind of love. And as finite human beings, just the sound of that is scary. What does God's love, what does Christ's love look like? It's unconditional. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to buy it. He loves you because he loves you. It's extended first. He loved me first. While I was still a sinner, he loved me. We love because Christ first loved us. What's it look like? 
It's patient and kind and not envious or boastful. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the, in the truth. The love that I'm talking about bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The love that I'm talking about never ends. That's the kind of love we're talking about. And because it's modeled after Christ's perfect love, I can't do it on my own. It's not something that is in me naturally. It's not something that I can just default to. To love the way he loved, I need his strength. Love one another. It's a new commandment. It's a commandment based on Jesus' model of love. And ultimately, when we love one another, it's a testimony to the world of who Christ is. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. By the size of Bible you carry. No. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples by the denomination that you belong to. No. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Why? Because the radical nature of this unconditional love that extends to us. It's so radical. People are like, that is like nothing I have ever seen. Do you remember when the headline of the year in the Amarillo Globe News, the headline of the year was one year, a few years ago, the formation of four Amarillo. The fact that four different churches from four different denominations came together to do good for the community shocked so many people that it had to be called the headline of the year. <laughs> I was like, what, 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 it, was, it was amazing. It was, it, but it was also telling. It was like, because if this happened all the time, if churches from different denominations came together all the time and worked together for the good of the community and worked together to extend the love of Christ, if that happened, happened all the time, it wouldn't have been a blip on anyone's radar. But it never happens. But it should. Because those who don't believe begin to say, hey, don't, don't don't the Baptist dunk and the Presbyterian sprinkle? <laughs> Don't they do things a little different? In communion, a little different in each one of those denominations? Oh, I, I have a solution for the baptism problem. Like we could borrow a toot and totem car wash and we can put all the dunkers in the middle and the sprinklers on the side and then just run it. <laughs> and just kind of cover everyone all at once, right? 
But even though we're part of the same family, we argue more about the things that make us different. And that's what people see instead of uniting around the one who unites us all in love. And if we were to do that, and when we do that, those around us see something different. Love testifies as to who God is. Do you want to reach your non-Christian neighbor? Love them like they've never been loved before. Do you want to reach your non-Christian boss? Love them like they've never been loved before. Do you want to reach that vegan that's always annoying you? Love him like he's <laughs> never been loved before. I don't know many people who have been harassed or harangued or argued into the kingdom of God. But I do know plenty of people who after experiencing Christ-like love turn their life over to him. Family. Because that's what we are. In young life, we gather together and we call them family meetings. That's what this is. This is a family meeting. Look around. God's calling you to love each and every one of those people. God's calling you to love the bald guy with glasses. And if you can't see yourself doing that, I am praying that we, when we get to heaven, my mansion is right next to yours. But he's not just calling us to love those in this room. He's especially calling us to those on the outside. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you shall love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Let's pray. We confessed it during our time of confession. We don't always love like we should. Don't let us deceive ourselves, Lord. Oh, we love a lot, but we love those who are easy to love. And if we're honest, sometimes we avoid those that might be a little more difficult to love. But let those in this building tonight be challenged to accept this new commandment. To love as you have loved. And that it might be a testimony to those who don't yet know you. Because if those in this building tonight can commit to that, Amarillo could be changed for your glory. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.